0: but we 'll spend eternity with them amen amen so let's start with uh, we'll open up your Bibles uh, if you can find it I'll give you a second. Uh, this is Philemon uh, so if it's if you have a little bit of trouble it's towards the very end uh, if you go from the back go you know, from the back and then go forward you' got revelation and you 'll hit the Johns and then Hebrew and then Philemon is right before that. This is a very small of the Bible, um, and this is the first time we're ever going to do this. We're going to practically preach on the entire book of the Bible in one sermon here. Uh, so it's only one chapter. Um, so I don't even say chapter one, verse whatever. It's just verse whatever because there's only one chapter. We're going to start in verse 4. I know we're going to skip uh, the verse 3 verses, but I promise you that you can read those on your own if you'd like to. Um, But this is an epistle, which is a fancy word for letter. Uh, So this is a letter that's being written from one person to another. Uh, And actually it's called uh, the Postcard Epistle because it's so small. Uh, So I'm going to read this and then we're going to, I'm going to do my best to kind of uh, bring you up to speed on who these characters are in this story. And then I think God has a message for us uh, that will yeah they will both challenge us and comfort us this morning amen 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 okay all right let's open this up uh, starting in verse 4 i always thank my god this is uh paul uh writing i always thank my god as i remember you in my prayers because i hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the lord jesus It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me, to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done, in, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the Psalms, the, the songbook of the Scriptures. We're thankful for the Old Testament, for the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, for all the narrative that we have, the poetry of Scripture. We're thankful for the Gospels. Thankful for the story of the early church in Acts, and this morning specifically, we're thankful for the letters in the Bible. We're thankful for a window into the interactions of the early church, the interactions of the Apostle Paul, the interactions that he has with the people that he is, is doing life with. And Father, may we learn from Paul this morning. May we learn from the Holy Spirit at work in this church. And I pray the Holy Spirit would continue to be at work. Continue to help us to live out John 17, our call for unity, our call to be clinging to the vine of Jesus, to find life being grafted into the family of God, recognizing that we do not earn our spot, but are adopted in. And may we welcome that extension, extend that welcome to others and treat them as so. Father, we pray for those in our church who are hurting the things that we know and the things we don't even know. We pray for those who are going through mental health issues. May you bring healing. We pray for those that are without housing or without jobs or in financial strain. May you bring healing to them. And may we as a church come alongside them well. We pray for those that are traveling this Labor Day weekend. May you be a weekend of refreshment for them, and may you keep them safe as well. Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So like I said, we're going to preach on this book of the Bible that I don't think we've ever actually preached on. And I want to, in the very beginning here, uh, recognize that the Bible... Is, can be intimidating for all of us. Uh, even, I mean, we as pastors, uh, most of us have been to seminary or Bible college, or something, we spent lots of time reading it, and I just want to admit, I still get intimidated by it. And so if you're out there and saying, I get intimidated, it took me a minute to find it, I was going to look it up in my Bible, but then I was worried it was going to look foolish, so I just looked on the screen instead, like, you're not the only one. Like, this is intimidating. And so what we're going to do from the beginning is just introduce these characters. There's no assumption that you know who any of these people are, so we're going to start in the very beginning here. So we got three main characters we're going to talk about. And you'll see the first one's name pop up on the screen. On the screen, This is Onesimus. Can everyone say it together? Onesimus. Good. So Onesimus, his name actually in the Greek, in the original language, means useful. So kind of tuck that away in your brain a little bit. You've got this one cat here. His name means useful. And he is a slave, which we're also going to talk about in a minute. So to tuck that away as well. Who, after robbing his master, the guy who was in charge of him, a guy named Philemon at Colossae, a little town, he fled to Rome where he was converted to the faith. He became a Christian under the discipleship of Apostle Paul, who then is now sending him back to this master. With this epistle, he's holding this letter. as He's going back to this person, um, and the epistle na- bears the name of the guy he's headed towards. So who's that guy? It's spelled a little weird, but it's actually pronounced Philemon. So you can pronounce that with me. Go ahead. Philemon. Okay, let's start from the top. Onesimus. And Philemon. Good. You guys are killing it so far. A hundred out of a hundred. So apparently... This man, who we don't know a ton about, he's a person of note, meaning that he's kind of an important dude in this town of Colossae. And so he was brought to the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like uh, Onesimus. Say it with me, Onesimus was through the work of the Apostle Paul, and he held an important place in that Christian community. We don't know exactly what he did, um, but he held that place, and he was being affirmed in this letter as a man with a deep love for people and a deep faith in Jesus. If there's two compliments that someone can give you, these are right near the top of them. He's called in the epistle a fellow laborer, a partner in the gospel, and those words specifically must have some sort of connotation that he had some sort of important role in the church back where he is living. A friend of Paul's, important person in the church, and just an overall like uh, obedient, faithful follower of Jesus. Okay, that brings us to our third person. His name is Paul. It's pronounced Paul. Paul. Good. You guys are thriving at this. Uh, so Paul the Apostle, also known as St. Paul, this man was an eventual follower of Jesus. He's probably, out of the three characters, the one that you all are most familiar with and maybe know the most about. He is a follower of Jesus. But I want to remind you that this man who wrote so many of these epistles, these letters in the New Testament, he was not only not an early convert to Christianity, he spent the early part of his life adamantly uh, persecuting those who were following Jesus. So we're not going to get into his whole story today, but I want you to hear from me to kind of start this, is if you are sitting in those, you know, uh, fold-up chairs this morning in the pews, quote-unquote, here at Redeemer, and you are looking around feeling like I am one of the only ones that didn't grow up in the Lord, didn't grow up as a follower of Jesus. We weren't at church every Sunday, What I want you to hear from me and from Paul is that you are in good company, You're not a second-rate citizen here today, just like the Apostle Paul was not a second-rate citizen compared to the other kind of key figures of the faith. In fact, Paul is regarded as one of the most influential figures of this entire age, this entire early church movement. And not only did he write these epistles, the man founded an incredible number of early churches, and he is, his fingerprints are, are, are touching Christianity for the rest of time. And so these are our three folks, Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul, and they're kind of our three key figures in this. So before we get to kind of their interactions with each other and what they're talking about in this story, I want to just go ahead and just from the jump, go ahead and tackle this question of slavery that comes up in this passage. We've introduced it to the characters of the story, and clearly there is a unique relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. When we read the word slave, which is, you know, we see in Philemon, we also see in other parts of the New Testament, if you kind of are anything like me, it can feel just very disorienting to read in the New Testament. Sometimes there'll be a little knot in your stomach, sometimes you might read past it in your own devotions and be like, well, just going to take a deep breath and keep on moving here because I don't really know how to handle this. Um, You kind of have questions of like, what in the world is going on here? Was this okay back in biblical times? Slavery, was it okay back then? And the Bible seems to not say things sometimes that I wish it would say in these letters about slavery. And so what is going on here? Raise your hand if you have ever had a question about slavery in the Bible. All right, keep your hands raised if you expect me to answer all of those questions this morning super. All right, Justin will hang out after church for a little bit. Uh, So I'm going to do my best to give a a brief little understanding of this. Uh, And the first things first is that when we see the word slavery in the Bible, we as Americans, we instantly think about the horrific transatlantic African slave trade that our country willingly participated in. This slavery is defined as chattel slavery, which means that one person has total ownership of another person. And just to be abundantly clear here, this was and is horrific, dehumanizing, sinful, wrong, disgusting. And any Christian that did not and or does not condemn this 100 percent is out of line with the teachings of the Bible, out of line with the teachings of Jesus. And so some of this that we're going to understand here that I'm going to talk about comes from a theologian named Don Carson, who I have some, a lot of respect for. And what he explains when kind of explaining the issue of slavery that comes up in the New Testament is that it's speaking to servants and masters. It's here also in Ephesians 6. And he goes on to say that while much can be said about this subject, it's important to understand that slavery in the Greco-Roman world, the biblical times, world was not the same as the new world institution that developed in the wake of the transatlantic African slave trade. So though there are some similarities, you cannot just kind of insert one into the other as they are synonymous with each other. Slavery in Paul's time was much more what we would call being an indentured servant or indentured servitude. Prisoners of war often became slaves, and men could be sentenced to be slaves slash indentured servants for crimes that they committed. A person could become a slave for a set period of time in order to work off debts because there was no such thing as bankruptcy in the ancient times. In essence, if I defaulted on a loan, one of the avenues to go forward to kind of reclaim my place in society would be that I would willingly enter into what they would have referred to as a slave relationship to be able to pay back that That that, that debt that I owe. And often the result was indentured servants that would be in that servanthood for years until the debts were paid. Surprisingly, slaves or indentured servants could own other slaves or indentured servants. Many indentured servants were doctors, professors, administrators, and civil servants. And another theologian says that to help us understand this, no one in ancient times This is not to say the practice is justified or there weren't systemic issues that were wrong with it. We're going to get to that in a second. But no one would have even conceived an economic or labor structure without it. There were not the things in place to to kind of help people get back into society if they had fallen into debt or they committed crimes apart from kind of this institution. Slavery was an accepted institution in these cultures, uh, and only within Christianity did the idea eventually arise that slavery or indentured servitude was actually an abominable institution to be abolished that happened over time. Usually I'll start with kind of a fun story uh, to get get your attention. This morning I was like, we're just going to skip that because I know I'm going to get their attention when we talk about slavery in the Bible. So all eyes we're tracking here. And so what we see here is that this is a window into what is going on in this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. And it also we see in the scriptures, and kind of we're going to leave Philemon for a second here, we see the gospel implications laid out by our dude Paul throughout the New Testament that do an end to what is going even going on in this relationship. Philippians 2 7 helps us understand that we are all equal, as even Paul uses the language as slaves of Christ. He levels the ground between those indentured servants and the people that they were indentured. To. are indebted to. Paul regularly told Christian uh, indentured servant owners, slave owners, that they were equal in the sight of God and needed to be treated as brothers. That's 1 Corinthians 7. Gal- Galatians chapter 3 says that he, he, write, he writes in Christ one of the best passages, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture that there is no, neither slave nor free. Again, all are equal in the eyes of Jesus. So this case study we see in this epistle here in which he applies the gospel theology, Paul is sending Onesimus, a Christian slave, back to his Christian master, Philemon. And Philemon is told that that relationship no longer is what it used to be. He's told that Onesimus is now his beloved brother in the Lord and a fellow man. Back to a uh, guy, Carson, who I started with at the beginning of this explanation. He says that despite how complicated, and I will, I want to acknowledge, like I still have questions about this. So I don't, want, I don't mean to say we're going to answer all your questions or even that you're not going to leave Scripture with questions, which is a healthy practice to still have your questions about what happened here. And not all your questions will be answered this time, this side of Christ coming back. The subject is important for Christians to think out today. So often we as Christians that are, you know, very much involved in the church, we get to difficult issues and we just say, oh, I don't want to touch that because that might rattle my faith. Or we have Christians that are saying, oh, I want to kind of, kind of, like kind of, I have all these questions. I need to go outside of the church to process these questions. But instead, what would it look like if we created, if we leaned into a Christian community that made space for people with those Questions, Amen? So raise your hand, not even talking about this, if there are other questions that you might have about the Bible. Anybody out there? Yeah, we're not going to get to those either today. But I love that you have the questions. And I love that we as a community can process those questions and we are not scared of your questions. It doesn't mean that it's going to rock our faith and we are even going to have some questions or plenty of questions that the answer to those questions is, I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. But it's so helpful that we have a God that we can still follow even when we don't have all of our questions answered. And many critics of Christianity simply assume that the Bible wrongly endorsed slavery, so it's important for us to explain what is going on here uh, because actually biblical theology is what destroyed the coercive heart of the institution of slavery. This is Carson talking within Christian community and finally led Christians... In, in a lot of ways, it historically way it took them way too long to abolish the inevitably oppressive-prone institution that slavery is itself. Amen. So sorry that I took a moment, and sorry we kind of diverted a little bit, but I realized that over time, you know, the years of kind of doing this pastor thing, there are issues in the scripture, and when we get to them, we just need to press pause and cover them. Issues that you and I are wrestling through, and though we're not going to answer all of those questions, I do want to continue to invite you to lean in. There's so many resources we can give you about this question and others. We look to a ministry called Jude, the Jude 3 Project, uh, that are one of our fellow folks in our diocese is deeply connected with, that they have done an enormous amount of work in this area and in other questions of theology. So don't hesitate to ask those questions. Amen? Amen. Okay, so back to the main event here. we got these three characters, uh, Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul. And so Onesimus was, is a slave slash indentured servant to Philemon. He ran away. He met Paul, came to know Jesus, and is being discipled by Paul. Now, Paul is convicted that Onesimus needs to return to Philemon to fulfill his obligations. And but, and I just want to name, this is a huge... I'm oh, sorry. This is a huge but. And if this was the family service, like, I would never hear the end of that. Um, this is a huge but. Um, and seven-year-olds would just go to town right now. This is a huge but. Uh, but in essence... Paul is called in this moment to advocate for this man. So Paul is called to, or we're all called to, be advocates for those that do not have the power that Paul has, the influence that Paul has. And we see this spelled out in this letter. Paul writing to Philemon, I appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you, For my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful useful to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have loved to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent." so that any favor you would do does not seem forced but be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Church, last week we talked about the call to hospitality, the love of stranger, and how we're called to welcome in those who are outsiders, those who are different, those who are strangers, and particularly those who are in need. And we're to do so with no expectation that they will repay us in the same way. And what I want you to see here is that this Paul's relationship with Onesimus is different than simply hospitality. Some of the best questions I had after last week was how does hospitality differ from friendship and it's an important thing to wrestle through but what we see here is that Paul is calling this man dear brother. The people that we're called to be hospitable to, we are called to love, called to sacrifice, but they may not be our closest friends in the world, and that's okay. Everyone cannot be your closest friend. There is a difference between the people that we are friends with and the people that we are simply called to love and be hospitable to. But here we see Paul call this man, Dear and it's abundantly clear that this relationship is significant and close. He seems as brother. He became my son while I was in chains. For Paul, this man is family to him. Not like family. Family. This is what dear friendship looks, in, looks like in the Lord, or at least an example of what it looks like. And I want to look at the ways the Lord uses us, uses you potentially, as friends to each other and to others. The first thing we see here from Paul is that he treats this friend, what a friend does, he treats this man as he is in Jesus. Onesimus, we don't know a ton about him, but we know he's probably made somewhat of a mess of his life at this point. Verse 11 says that he was formerly useless to you. Paul loves this man, but, he's, but his name, he's just calling facts, facts to win. He was with Philemon. He was useless to him. Verse 18 leads us to think that he potentially stole something. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, like I know he's probably done something, like just charge it back to me. Having run away, having potentially stolen, having been called useless. And the ironic thing is that Onesimus, like I said in the beginning, his name actually means useful. So it's a play on his name here. Being called useless, I could imagine the man even if he puts on a strong face, has some serious insecurity, and some serious identity issues. If I'm this man, I've come from this life that I, you know, I I I, I made some mistakes here. I, I wasn't really highly uh, esteemed. I might walk with my head a little low, struggle with self-esteem, not feel like I have a hope for the future. In essence, as we know, this man's a kind of a criminal on the run. You don't walk with your head held high through the middle of town as a criminal on the run. And we don't know anything about his nationality. We don't know anything about his parents. But it's highly likely that he was a foreigner brought to the Roman Empire through war or slave trading. He would not have much in the way of protection from exploitation, from abuse. And he would not have much in the way of rights or any privilege. So as society would define him, he is a have-not and not a half. So Paul, a man who has deep respect, especially in the church community, Paul treated him under his new identity in Christ. He didn't just tell him about Jesus. He didn't just say, oh, here's theologically, you were on the outside, now you're adopted into the family of God. You were, you know, a, a, before you became a Christian, you were a sinner in need of forgiveness, and now you're washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and you'll spend eternity with Him. He didn't just talk about the theology. He didn't just talk about His eternal home. He treated Him differently in the here, in the now. Friends, the Gospel transforms identity and belonging. So much so that Paul says that when, when, when he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, carrying this letter that we're reading, he says, in fact, he's sending his very heart. He deeply loves this man. More than this, Paul writes to Philemon, this important man, a church leader, like a, probably a, a homeowner, which we learn from other parts of the New Testament. And Paul writes how Onesimus has come to both of them to be a fellow brother in Christ. He's not just a brother in eternity. He's a brother right now. In the world that, that stacks us up to say, you know, if you have this bank account or have this level of power or this level of influence live in this neighborhood, you're here and kind of on down the list depending on your bank account and where you live, the job that you have, the, the clothes that you wear. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that, that list actually gets flipped 90 degrees to where we're all 100% equal in the gospel. And imagine the apostle Paul who we know is incredibly godly. Imagine him thinking or looking at this man and calling him brother. Think about the times in your life where you have been, you know, you have made mistakes and made a mess of your life. Maybe you're in that point right now where we all have some point in your dot on a timeline or for some of it's a it's a multiple dot or a string of dots or a series of dots where we have made mistake after mistake after mistake. We've gotten ourselves in a mess after mess after mess. We've, our reputation may have been here and all of a sudden it's dropping and then takes a plummet based on the actions that we have taken in our community or the people around us. Some of you have this when you were in high school and kind of kind of got, got off path in the, the church community, didn't love you well, or your high school community, or your college, or your, your friends, or even in your church community as an adult. But the power of somebody especially looking back to the Apostle Paul, looking at you and not just saying Jesus forgives you, but saying we're brothers. We belong to each other. We're equals in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the power for you to receive from each other, but it's also the power that you have to give. As a believer in Christ, you know all the things that that in the Scripture, the promises that that Jesus and Paul lay out for us and the rest of of the biblical writers lay out for us. Those are ours in Christ Jesus. And you have the power in relationship to remind others of the things that are true and not just tell them about that, but treat them as so. And we have this opportunity as a church. We had this opportunity as a church to where people come into our church and some of them come in and, you know, and feel 100% welcome and at home because they're like, oh, I understand. I've, I've, I've been in healthy churches in the past and I've, I've been a healthy person in those healthy churches. Other people come into this church terrified that they're going to be judged. Terrified that even though they put faith in Christ, their list of sins is long and different from someone else's. And they're scared to be vulnerable. They're scared to be honest. They're scared that they will be cast aside or seen as second rate or not seen as as equal to everyone else. And I can look at them from here and, and tell them the good news, but even more so, you as parishioners can treat them as equals. You can go to the park with them. You can parent alongside them. You can invite them to your home. You can ask them questions. In Bible study, one of my favorite things when we do Bible study is that anyone has an opportunity to share and ask questions and insight and some of the most insightful things you will ever hear about the Scriptures come from the folks that are the least, quote-unquote, educated by societal standards. This is an opportunity as a church for us to live out what it looks like to be family with each other. And the second thing that a friend does, as we see from this epistle, is a friend helps us see our purpose. Paul advocates that Onesimus be treated no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Onesimus, before this time, it can be safe to assume that the man was kind of floundering around, somewhat purposeless. He's even called useless in this, in this passage of Scripture. No purpose at all, but having encountered Paul in the gospel... That Paul writes about. Onesimus wants Paul to continue to stay and help him in the mission, but instead he sends him back to that church in Colossae. When Jesus begins to change us from the inside out, from little by little, the light bulbs go off in us, our character starts to change, but also we change and become trustworthy, slowly become faithful and reliable, helpful And we see when we've made a mess of our lives, which we can all raise our hand, we've done at some point, it can feel like we're on the outside looking in of saying, well, those people are doing the Lord's work and I'm just here to kind of receive from them because I'm not worthy enough to do it. But that's not how it works in the church. This isn't the people that haven't sinned do the hard work of, 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 carrying, the king, of carrying the work of the kingdom of God and the, the sinful people are on the outside just to kind of receive from the folks who are quote-unquote good. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross that there we are all sinful, all forgiven, and we are all part of the body. And God's called us all to the good works that he talks about, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2.10, the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So, Anissimus, whose name means useful, becomes useless, useful. He actually lives into his name, becoming useful in God's church and his kingdom. And Paul loves him so much and feels so strongly about it these he's calling ahead that he doesn't just say to Philemon, he doesn't say, go do this. He says, do this even if it costs me. Note 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18 says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you'd welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Michael Bird, another theologian that I love, he points out that Paul is saying here that he's willing to put himself in the place of this servant, to bear the cost that this servant owes. Indeed, Paul volunteers to have the, co- the cost charged, Reckoned and in the theological word, imputed to himself. On the converse side, Paul then asks Philemon to receive Onesimus as if he were Paul. Paul embeds his own kind of apostolic status to Onesimus, this servant, indentured servant, despite the fact that he should not have that status by himself. So Paul offers to pay for someone else's transgressions, And he urges the one of lowly status to be treated with regard to the status and stature of Paul. Paul wants the penalty for his failure credited to himself and his status credited to Onesimus. Who is this starting to sound like? In effect, he's saying treat Onesimus as both apostle, like Paul, and as servant. Harkens back to the old phrase, Christians, those who are in Jesus, are both sinners and saved, fallen and forgiven. Brothers and sisters, what Paul is talking about is the same thing that we receive in Jesus. That swap that Paul is referring to, that imputation—the fancy theological word—is what Jesus gives us when He says, "He says that you can have all the forgiveness that I earned. I'll take all the sin." and the destruction and the punishment that you deserved on the cross. And I'll give you the forgiveness. I'll wash you clean all the things that I deserved as the one who never sinned. He swaps places with us. And that's where Paul even has an idea of how to do this. It's because he understands the gospel himself. Brothers and sisters, the love of Jesus changed Paul. Then it changed Onesimus. And that same gospel went as far not just to change their eternal destination, but change their actions that day. So when we think about this, and we think about this little epistle, the postcard epistle, what I want you to understand from it is that we have a call, and we'll close with this, that we have a call to marry what we know in our heads is true about the love of God to the actions of how we love the people around us. And the only way we do that, not we don't do it by trying hard enough. We don't do it by muscling up the courage to do so. We do it by remembering that Jesus willingly gave us the righteousness that he earned to take the punishment that we deserved. So therefore, as friends, as people, we can willingly lay down our lives for each other, advocate for one another because we've been advocated for. So as we remember that truth, we head to the communion table. And when we take communion...